You're listening to Inside the Minds with Dante Marsh and Ryan Hyde. A podcast about life, lessons, and whatever the hell else they want to talk about. This week on Inside the Minds podcast with myself and my co-host, Ryan Hyde, we have a good friend of mine and a former teammate of mine, uh, hailing from DeSoto, Texas, um, attended TCU, played with LaDainian Tomlinson. We had a few battles back then in the uh, Western Athletic Conference. Uh, Give it to y'all back then, too. Hey, let's not get that mistake. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. The TCU Horn Frogs the no state bulldogs going head to head, battling it out. Um, had a very good career there. Ended up transferring to Family Florida AM for his senior year. Um, you also were the 1999 Mobile Alabama Bowl MVP. Um, finished up at uh, FAMU with the Rattlers. Um, NFL prospects wasn't wasn't as high as it should have been or was supposed to be. Ended up going up north to the BC Lions. Um, for 03 and 04, 04, some injuries uh, opened up a situation for you to, to get in there and do what you do. Man, through for what, 5,000 yards, 35 plus touchdowns, most valuable player of the Canadian Football League, uh, helping us uh, get on ahead to the Grey Cup that year. I was a part of that team uh, in 04 and uh, had a very spectacular uh, 2004 campaign. Um, had some injuries uh, go on. Uh, there was some contract disputes um, mm. behind the scenes. Mm. So uh, came back in 05, didn't didn't replicate the the same success as 04 due to injury, contract disputes, and and other things that we'll get into uh, later in this interview. And um, in 06, uh, signed with the Kansas City Chiefs with Herman Edwards. Indeed. Uh, I also signed with the Kansas City Chiefs for five days. <laughs> <laughs> Casey Plinters. What's good? What's good, everybody? Happy to be here. Let's get it. Let's get to this. <laughs> okay, so real quick, man. This 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 young this fine young fellow right here was a uh, was a uh, opponent in college, a thorn in our side. No pun intended. TCU Horn Frogs. Um, read a lot about you prior to us playing. You know, with all the, you know, the Texas, California thing, you're right. supposed to be, well, actually, you were VY before VY. Right, right, so a lot right. Of, a lot of people don't know that. Um, and we did uh, beat y'all in 99. To, to, to Come on, man. That. Come on, man. WAG <laughs> 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 uh, Championship. I think it was with, with Hawaii. We, we split it with that year. Mm-hmm. We got y'all in a, a double overtime in Fresno, something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was so crazy. Anyway, let's, let's, Reggie Hunt was on that team too. Reggie Hunt, yes, yes. Uh, one of our other teammates, uh, Fish Grease. Aaron, <laughs> 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 uh, older brother, man. So very talented uh, individuals on their football field. So let's Absolutely. let's 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 get into the beginning, the Soto, Texas. Let's talk. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about where it all began for Casey Prince. It all began when I was uh, I was nine years old. I went out to uh, play with the Pop Warner Oak Cliff Jets. 
I was on the E team. That's the lowest division in, in Pop Warner football. And eventually, um, actually, I, I, I wanted to play wide receiver. And I remember this vividly. Our first practice, they had us lined up. So picture everybody like in a school line. Mm-hmm. And they made you drop back and throw the ball as far as you can throw it. And I didn't want to play quarterback. I wanted to play wide receiver. My idol growing up was Michael Irvin. And so I stood in the back of the line. And so I got to the front and I just call it, you know, divine intervention or whatever. I dropped back three steps and I just threw it over the coach's head. He said, you're the quarterback. I mean, ah, you know, so that's how it started. Um, and eventually I, I just, I just love the position because I love having the ball in my hands. Okay. Okay. Oh, Cliff, it, isn't that in Dallas? It's right inside of Dallas. It's, um, uh, it is the, <laughs> it, it's the hood. It right. really is the hood of Dallas. And so yeah, I, spent, I spent about 11 days in Oak Cliff, man. I know. About yeah. It. Yeah. So I grew up right in the trenches. It was, it was tough growing up because, the, um, there just wasn't a lot of opportunity. And um, uh, when I found football at that young age and I found out that I was pretty good at it, it became a catalyst for me growing up because that's, it, it kind of morphed into something that I, I really liked to do to something that I wanted to do for like for my life. And it started, you know, at nine years old. I mean, it was just a, a simple me dropping back three steps and throwing over the coach's head. That was it. It, it, it never, I never intended to play quarterback. Okay. So when, when, when did those visions start coming into your head that this was something that you could make a career out of? When I was, um, when I passed middle school, because, okay, so, so e, the Pop Warner playing field goes like this. It goes from the E team to the A team. The A team is the older group. And my 18 year, we won the national championship. We actually flew out to Redwood, California, California, uh, Dante, and we, uh, we actually won the national championship of Pop Warner that year against the Redwood 49ers. Mm-hmm. And from then on, it was just kind of like, that was my, like, okay, I love this. I really want to do this for real, for real. And so going into high school, it was just, you know, I, I, I played my freshman year on the, on the freshman team and it was just kind of a, a thing. It was like, okay, Predators is coming, right? So that was kind of, circulating around the, the school and because we were talented my brother and I my brother actually played wide receiver uh growing up and and our freshman year our first three games he broke his ankle but after the uh the first three games it was like the printer's connection I'm throwing to my brother and everything so we were all super talented here in Dallas Texas if you ever googled DeSoto High School you'll see that we've got alumni like Von Miller and Ellis Hobbs, who played with the Patriots, he won a Super Bowl with them. Uh, Patrick Creighton, who was a Dallas Cowboy. Uh, there's so many athletes that are, even now, Cyrus Gray and so many others that have played in the National Football League. Byron Hanspark, that actually inspired Ooh. me to go to DeSoto. Yeah, so Byron Hanspark was there before me. And I was I, I was like, oh, I want to go to DeSoto because of Byron Hanspart. He ended up going to the NFL, the Atlanta Falcons, and played for a few years. So that's kind of my plight going from, you know, adolescence into high school and, and beyond trying to uh, make this thing happen. Yeah. Byron Hanspart, he was one of my favorites. I, he got busy with he that. Was, 
and um, he got busy. Busy Soto. Oh man, he was a handful, and I mean, he had every like he had every college in the country wanting him to come there, and he chose Texas Tech. Not sure why he chose Texas Tech because had he gone to you know, something bigger and, and more touted. Maybe he could have been a higher draft pick. I'm not sure, uh, but I just remember. He was high enough. I mean, he was in the Heisman Heisman race. I mean, yeah, in, yeah. In the, in the big twist. Now, playing against Texas Tech, um, right. sophomore year, they had some guy guys now. Like, right. about, you know, Hunt, you talking about, mm-hmm. um, uh, little Ricky Williams, the other little Ricky Williams, right? The they had Kingsbury back then, too, huh? Cliff Kingsbury, they had, yeah, a, they had a slew of guy, uh, Monte Rager. Oh, yeah, break. Oh, yeah, listen, oh, yeah. listen <laughs> to me, hey man, they had some, they had some dogs. So, you know, obviously, Texas is big on football, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a national pastime, it's religion in the south, period, no question even though it's California and then Florida and Texas are battling for number two in football supremacy, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a big time deal out there. And I remember in the nineties when I was coming up in, 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 in high school, um, the California first Texas high school all-star football game was big. And, you know, I don't know why they stopped it, but it was, a, I, I, we were up a few games, but in any event, <laughs> there, uh, there, uh, there was a lot of guys on that, on that Texas Tech roster. So, you know, you're probably right. If he would have chose the Longhorns or Oklahoma, yeah, or, you know, one of the SEC teams, but he still did his dirt. I think he still was a first round draft pick. Right. Mistaken. And then his, his pro career just didn't, you know, resemble what he did at Texas Tech, but he was phenomenal. I used to love I mean, an absolute dog. dog. Unbelievable. I'm talking, and, and the reason I say Texas or OU or Florida or Miami or something like that is because it's, it's, the, it's about exposure. Yeah. And Texas Tech is not on national TV like Alabama is, right? Mm-hmm. You're not going to get a Texas Tech game um, on national TV. TV unless you're playing against Auburn, Tennessee, Florida, Miami, all those big time schools. And so that's why I say if he had gone to a bigger school, maybe, you know, who knows? Oh, he probably could have won that trophy because he definitely easily because the big I 12, mean the Big 12 wasn't no slouch. See, right. see, and we have to remember at that particular time, right? Miami wasn't Miami no more. Mm-hmm. You know, Alabama wasn't Alabama no more during right. that time. Like That's you true. had Nebraska, you had Colorado, right. it knew how right. like Big 12 was sure. wrecking the slab. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, a lot of those other schools had did one of these. Just right. like, you know, I, re- I remember USC being big time in the, in the, in the, in the, in the earlier 90s and then they passed the baton to UCLA because, right. There is no, we, you know, SC wasn't SC until PK. Right. Yeah. Right. UCLA was the king of LA at the time when I was in college from what, 97 to 2000. So, you know, a lot of those uh, conferences and, and, and as you, as you, as you just stated, like the exposure, but, you know, I think he helped put Texas tech on the map. No question. No yeah. question. So, so let's, let's, let's get, let's, let's get 
more in depth with your with your high school career. What was your what was your overall record in high school? Uh, I don't remember um, what our overall record was, but I can tell you this: we were a run first team. We would do you know we lining up on the center and type of plays we would run would be like full back dive right, full back dive left, option left and option right. And so we didn't have the things that these kids have today where they're four or five wides. I can't even imagine <laughs> if I was in high school and we were four or five wides slinging it all, all over the yard. It, uh, it, my career would have been different coming out of high school. But uh, uh, yeah, it's, you know, we just didn't have that. And and so we had to make the most of what we had. Um, my high school career, it was a really good high school experience. I loved every second of it. I just wish we threw the ball more. Like I just always clamoring for throwing, throwing the ball more. I just a huge believer of throwing the football. And so um, um, we never made it past the second round of the playoffs, even though we were supremely talented. It's just that the coaching back then you know, uh, just wasn't up to the level and the standards as it is today. Uh, it's just kind of how it is. I mean, it, you, coaches back then were just, they were, they were, you know, about the philosophy of be physical. We're going to hit them in the mouth and we're going to, we're going to run the ball down the throat. And we're going to line up and run the same play again. It's just mm-hmm. kind of like a very rigid mentality and even though we had to throw the football because we were so talented on the edge with the wide receivers and and even our, our skill guys, all our running backs were talented, they could catch the football. We just never exploited the types of things that we could have if we would have been, you know, spread out. And so uh, unfortunately it just wasn't that way back in the day. And but I'm grateful for it. I mean, you know, I was able to take that kind of thing that we were doing in high school and translated to TCU because when I went to TCU, um, it was under Dennis Francione and Dennis Francione was a run first guy. Like it's hit him in the mouth. We're going to be stronger than you. It's just that same kind of mentality. Even though we were multiple offense, multiple spread, multiple tight end, multiple, we would, we would change the formations a lot. We would still run the same plays and you know, option left, option right. Well, yeah, he'll run, throw it on have, occasion. You have a future NFL Hall of Famer that you're giving the ball to. <laughs> that didn't happen until um, my sophomore years when LT actually took yeah. off. And yeah. so my freshman year, it was like, well, the excuse was, well, he, you're a freshman. So we're not going to throw it like that. Okay, you're a freshman. Okay, I get it. And then sophomore year, is like, LT, boom. Oh, my goodness. So we are option left, option right, downhill left, downhill right, and we were ball control, hit them in the mouth, physical team. So that's kind of the mentality of how it all shook out playing in that era. Uh, but I envy teams that were spreading it out back then, you know, and so it's just crazy. Yeah, I, I, I get it. I mean, obviously you want to showcase your talents to the rest of the world, you know, to, sure. to show, who, show who Casey Printers is. Right. You know? Casey's got an arm and Casey can do this. Casey can do that. Now, if it's, you know, if it's run first, that's not happening. So that's just, but that was just a, a tribute to the, to the culture back then. Everybody and every coach, and even still today, when you watch NFL primetime or you watch some of these commentators talk about football, they're like, oh, 
that team has to run the ball. It's like, no, they don't have to run the ball. They just have to execute better on the edge. And so it's, it's, it's been a shift in focus, but there's still some old school cats out there that's like, run the ball, run the ball. And I agree with running the football. I agree with that. However, it's not, that's, if you play in Pat Mahomes and you can't throw the ball, you in trouble. Right. Mm-hmm. So and that's what Lamar Jackson keeps running into is, is that, you know, he's a great athlete and he's a good thrower, but consistently taking the ball from one end to the other, throwing the football is not his strength. And so they find themselves in a hole when Pat Mahomes jumps out 14 to nothing. You know, it's kind of like, OK, we have to kind of we have to keep pace and they can't do that. So that's the reason they keep running into that issue is because they're so rigid in their approach that they just can't do the other things that they need to do simply because, you know, Lamar's just, uh, you know, he's just not as skilled when it comes to that. I, 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 I beg to differ a little bit. I'm going to say okay. it's less Lamar and more the philosophy of the Baltimore Ravens. Well, we, if, we go, if we go back to their inception right <laughs> 96 I think. what are they what are, historically what are the baltimore ravens they are a three four defense right big ass nose that's, that's right eat up two three people that's right off of, uh ray ray and them they're gonna that's have right. some some skill in the back end they're gonna sure. play good ass defense they're gonna get a decent quarterback one of my alumni shout out trent dilford right very good quarterback coming out of Fresno State went to Tampa you know how that go so he, right. he became a demon not because of his skill set but because the situation he was in just like my, sure. my dog David Carr situation you're in when sure. you're a highly drafted quarterback you go to a, 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 a not so good football team so I think Baltimore yeah I I, I, I agree with your your assessment but I kind of mm-hmm. think it's more on the philosophy of Baltimore. Okay, this is what this is who we are. We're gonna play solid ass defense. We're mm-hmm. gonna get turnovers, and we just need to manage. And we're gonna have a okay. We go back to Jamal Lewis in there. We got a two thousand yard runner in the backfield. You don't need to throw the sure. ball all over the place, right? Right. I think when and, they had Flacco, they opened yeah. up. <clears throat> sure, sure. And that's the, that's the thing is that you have to be you have to be able to evolve with the talent that you do have. And because of Flacco, that's the reason why they were able to open it up. And I agree, uh, they were, you know, a run first. That's the type of organi- organization they've always been. Um, but as it pertains to the African-American quarterback and him running and or throwing, it's just, you know, Lamar in this particular climate, he's just not as seasoned as, say, a Pat Mahomes. But, but you got to also look at this. And you're absolutely right. It's, it is go. It does go back to philosophy. Andy Reid, probably the best play caller ever, ever. Because. And he took Alex Smith, who was with the 49ers. He got drafted to the 49ers. Was awful, and everybody was calling him the biggest bust of all time. He's terrible. This terrible, awful, awful, awful. I'm sorry. He he went to Utah, um, um, and so. Alex Smith came from Utah, went to the 49ers, was terrible there, goes to the Chiefs, and it's all world. And it's not because of the talent, it is because of coaching. And 
as we'll get into this conversation later, I'm going to explain to you the coaching mm-hmm. that plays such an incredible issue when you're talking about talent and honing talent and trying to get guys uh, uh, to bring out the best skill that they have. No question. Yeah, I think I, 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 I really do believe with all my heart that, that you know, a lot of these guys and, and, and having an opportunity to be in the National Football League for a year, then a bunch of years up in Canada, I seen like right. the baby side of it. And a oh, lot yeah. of times it's not the athlete or the athletes lack thereof talent or ability or skill. It's no question. Are we putting this young man in the best position to be successful? Absolutely. And quarterback, I mean, you guys are the, you know, you're the most important piece on that sure. chessboard when we, sure. you know, talking about the, the game of football. Um, the ball is always in your hands every play offensively, every single play, because they got to hike it to you. So sure. you you are you are the most important piece. So you're going to get a lot of the ridicule, right? Sure. When things go terribly wrong and then get maybe too much praise when things go right. So I think, especially speaking for the quarterbacks, mm-hmm. I think you have to put these guys, you guys, in a situation to that's conducive for your success. So if I have a Casey Printers, right? No, he's mobile. No, he got a big arm. I have to, I'm gonna give you a little more leeway from a from an offensive coordinator perspective to to be able to utilize your skill set. So I may create plays to get you out of the pocket. You sure. know what I mean? I'm not gonna try to fit square pegs and circle holes. And I think a lot of times in the game of football, people who don't really know the game, they're fans. Their armchair GMs, they don't understand the game because they're not in the locker rooms. Right. They're not in <laughs> meeting. Right. They don't know what's going on. So and, 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 they, yes. you know, they say things and they see sure. things differently. I was mm-hmm. telling one of my homies the other day, man, I don't even watch football the same way as other people. Whew. I'm sitting there, looking, I mean, that was cover three. What was the safety right. doing? <laughs> right. So putting right. A, a guy's skill set matching it to an offensive and and that's why Andy Reid is special because I if I'm not mistaken he comes from the Bill Walsh tree sure I'm not mistaken with hungry and all those yeah. guys so he has an understanding of maximizing the talent and Mahomes is a damn good talent so right. him and Eric Bieniemy have found a way to to manufacture things and put him in the best position possible so you know I that that's just my opinion I mean who knows? But I don't think I think Lamar Jackson is a phenomenal player, but you are correct. I think he still has to take some steps moving forward in terms of um, uh, 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 defensive schemes and, 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 and the things he can can and get, cannot get away with with his athletic ability versus, OK, just like with Vic. We've seen Vic uh, in Atlanta. Phenomenal. But sure. He was polished yet then right. with the little hiatus and coming back and being able to sit behind donovan McNabb, he him his like in his later career in philadelphia he was actually a better quarterback absolutely and and again you attribute that to uh being around great play callers being around great players and it takes that and a lot many times and i've been on great teams and i've been on awful teams mm-hmm. i've been on you know great team where where guys know and I've been on awful teams where heck coaches mm-hmm. do not know. 
And oftentimes they'll take a guy because of their friends and they'll stick them in the quarterback room and give them, you know, permission to call plays and they've never done it. There was one time uh, I was in a place, I'm not going to say the place, because I'm not going to throw nobody up under the bus. I'm going to say initials. I'll give you initials, but I'm not going to give you names. Uh, I was in a place and the guys who were coaching the DBs, I know because one of my really close homeboys was actual uh, a DB on this team, on the same team that I was on at the time. And the coach, his coach, took a few classes on DBs. He went to a few coaching clinics on DBs, and he's a DB coach. And that happens all too often in the coaching arena where they hire their friends, their homeboys. And that's what Carl Kiel was talking about was like it's a bunch of kissing ass. <clears throat> and that's the reason uh, The reason that is, is because these coaches will hire their friends to coach. And they'll just say, hey, just, you, you know, you'll be all right. We'll, we'll help you, da, 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 da. But because they're homeboys, they bring them along. And when you're doing that, you are crippling the talent because this guy had never even played. When I was, listen, when I was in Kansas City, my office coordinator was an office alignment in college. He, you know, he blocked for a living. He didn't have the, the mental capacity to be out there calling plays, but because they needed a position to fill, they brought him in. Hey, you, 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 office coordinator now. It's like, dude, you know, that's not even his forte. So you're getting guys on teams that, that have coaches in place that didn't even play a position. That <laughs> is crazy to me. When I was in Kansas City, my quarterback coach never played quarterback. When I was in, I can't, I'm not going to say all places, but very rarely in my career did I have a coach who actually played the position. I think it only happened once. So, you know, it, it's very, very wasn't, difficult. Wasn't your, quarterback, wasn't your quarterback coach at one of those places a wide receiver? Yeah. Play <laughs> wide receiver. So now you're trying to coach me on how to throw the ball. Like, come on, man. Come on, man. It's a, there's a lot of that going on in, in college football and in the professional ranks. And I think it is a huge disservice to have – guys who are coaching quarterbacks or coaching DBs or coaching D like, who didn't do it. It just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense to me. However, there are guys who can't evolve. Mm-hmm. Who have been, Eric B enemy is one, um, who, who, you know, he played running back in college, but he was able to, you know, figure out and be around great play callers. And that's the reason why he's falling into that, into that, uh, that same kind of line. So when you get, Go ahead, Ryan. Sorry, Casey. When you get coaches like that who are coaching outside of their position, I guess you could say, do you start shutting down their messages and almost not listening? No, you got to stay coachable because if you don't stay coachable, then they say that about you. That becomes one of the things about you is that you're not coachable. So you have to listen. But in the back of your mind, you're going, like, bro, that's not like I'm back there. Like I I, I play in the position. I'm looking. You can't read that, you know, go route to out route to check. It's just hard to do what you're saying to do. And they don't understand it because they've never been back there in the fire. But you're trying to coach me on it. I remember one time, I'm not going to say, <laughs> I'm not going to throw names out there. 
but I was in Hamilton. And all week long, all week long, the coach is telling me we're going to throw this ball, this out route. If they play all up, they play cover zero on the back end. If they're up and they're going to blitz, we're going to throw this ball. And all week we practiced this play. And I told my coach, coach, I just don't think this is going to work, coach. These guys are sitting, these DBs are sitting at 10 and they are not backpedaling. They're going to drive on this ball. And all week long, no, you got to trust. You got to trust. Okay. Get in the game, throw a pick. And the, 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 the crazy part about that is that when asked about that interception after the game, the coach was like, yeah, my quarterback just made a mistake. Right. So you're telling me all week long to throw this ball. I do it. And then in the media, you come off and you talk about how I, I'm the, I was a, you told me all week to throw this ball. Now, of course, he didn't play quarterback, you know, so he didn't know. So, again, it's just one of those things. It's very, very difficult to coach a position when you've never done it. Yeah, for sure. You know what? <laughs> okay, so I, I – Speak on the tape. Speak is, on it. <laughs> this, is my, this is my thing. So, I am uh, – I had a pretty good career, right? So, Very successful career. Don't 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 minimize. We're not doing that. We're not here to no, do that, Tay. No. So I I, I I was you know I was, I was I was a pretty good player, I guess. So you know after playing or even like my last four years, I started training right. as a thing on the side. So um, I train athletes. I train people, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm really passionate about training athletes, specifically sure. defensive backs. So right. I jumped in the coach. So I'm now the defensive coordinator at a junior college or whatnot. But I train a lot of athletes. Got a lot of D1 guys that I've helped get scholarships and whatnot. And that's what I love to do, right? So I see a lot of these trainer guys out here mm. self-proclaiming they're this and they're that. Ugh. But you never even played football. But they're going to take that money, right? Right. So I... I it, what you just said resonates well with me because it's laughable. How can a rat tell an eagle how to soar? Right. A, rat, a rat don't have wings. A rat has never flown. Now, there's some exceptions to the rule. There's some guys that weren't, you know, great football players or didn't play that much ball, and they're phenomenal coaches. Well, sure. Listen, people, this is, listen to what I'm about to say, people. Coaches are leaders of men. Absolutely. It doesn't necessarily mean they know what they're talking about in regards to specific positions. That's watch right. Watch this. Your Belichick has ever to do it. But watch this. Right. Isn't it kind of funny every year that when a head coaching job pops open, right, in the NFL, who are the number one candidates? All the assistant coaches for New England Patriots. So That's if right. I'm a good coach, I'm a good leader of men, I'm going to surround myself with quality guys. Absolutely. Yeah. So the guys that know. Right. <laughs> Again, so this goes back to those who are sitting in chairs who's, who've never put their signature on a contract who really don't know what's going on, right? Indeed. Wally Bono, me and him had a conversation. We finally squashed it. It's good. So <laughs> he was a good... <laughs> I'll say this, mm. he was good at getting the ingredients to put in that pot to make that gumbo. I'm gonna say indeed, that. Indeed. 
Indeed. You got to respect the man for that. He was able to get guys, phenomenal athletes, and and I don't know how it worked, but, you know, we in the locker room full of high testosterone and egos, and it worked. A lot of that. Mm -hmm. He was good doing that. But you did have, like, Dave Ritchie was one coach that stands out, granddad. He stands out in my mind because he allowed my professional career in Canada to go like that. Right. Once once he came over and 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 and, and allowed me and Corey to kind of just do our thing, that's when things went that way. So I see, there are you said some a key coaches. word. You said a key word there, Tay. He allowed you to do your thing. Mm-hmm. See, you know, it goes back to what you was just talking. Uh, when you have uh, okay so let's let's talk of it talk about it like this you have athletes everybody brings a different skill set to this to the to the team right so Indeed. as a good coach or a good leader of men i have to stay one again if i got a casey printers i know he can run i'm not gonna sit back and have you running an option all day because i know you, you got a right. form on you. so what sure. i'm gonna do is i'm gonna i'm not gonna try to make you five step seven step in those days or just you know get the ball uh, you know in shotgun the, the 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 non-existent rpo and just ask you to stand back there in the pocket and and throw the ball all game i'm not mm-hmm. gonna ask you why because i would be doing a disservice to myself and your skill set i'm gonna create situations that utilize mm-hmm. your entire skill a lot of these coaches that fail or falter or that have the success that everybody else knows he's supposed to have it's not always on the athlete like you said sometimes it's these coaches they're bone they're sticking they're stuck in their ways I, i'm running this this is how oh, no, 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 no. bring back so many no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the reason it, it, reason, it the reason it brings back so many memories is because they're so rigid again it's, it, it goes back to the ego most people think, and they're, they're the armchair quarterbacks or the armchair coaches or what have you, they're thinking that these athletes have all these huge egos. They keep asking for so much money, blah, 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 blah. Let me tell you, the coaches' egos, and I'm not going to say, I can't speak for everybody, but a lot of the coaches that I've been in the room with, if you're not doing it their way, we want them out of here. Mm-hmm. Right? And And rather than then talking to your athlete. I remember I was in college. I'm just going to give y'all a situation. I had a first year offensive coordinator when I was at TCU. And by the way, every year that I was at TCU, I had a, a, a brand new offensive coordinator. Uh, I had an offensive coordinator one of my years that finally listened to me. He finally listened to me. I remember we were playing against Louisville um, and the very first play of the game. And I'm I'm telling him it because we're running the I formation, wide receivers coming in a zip motion. So he's coming all he's coming in, but he's not going across the field. He's coming in and he's going to stand next to the tight end. Mm-hmm. Louisville was a big quarters team. Okay. And if you're playing quarters, the corner and the safety have to communicate when you have two tight split receivers. So when they both go vertical mm-hmm. toward these, these, this corner and this, in this safety, now, Coaches and, and, and guys who played this will understand this. When you got two verticals at quarters and they're in close quarters, the corner and the safety have to communicate. 
I told my coach in the meeting days before the game, they are going to screw this, this switch up and we're going to throw a touchdown pass running down the middle of the field because they're going to, they're going to try to switch this, this stuff and they're going to mess it up. I told him this before the game even started, days before. He's like, yeah, okay, well, because you like to play, we'll run it, right? First play of the game, 80 yards. Because I understood the game, and many people didn't give me um, kudos for that because they just thought I was athletic. And, and, and many times, many, many, many times, I remember many days being uh, feeling powerless because here I am, I'm a thinker first before I'm anything else. I think and I can tell you every scheme that's going on from the offensive and the defensive side, no questions asked. I can tell what is going on, I know. I can tell you exactly in cover two what the linebackers are supposed to be doing, what they're supposed to read, what the corner's supposed to do. I know exactly what's going on on the field. But many coaches were like, oh, he's just this black kid that's athletic, right? And so they minimize you and you can't speak out against them because there's no platform like this where you can engage it and actually speak to it. See, I can break this thing down. And, and many times, I, I hate to take this thing so south so quickly, but it's the truth. Uh, and the coaches, in, in my opinion, if you're not in constant communication with your athlete, trying to get the best out of them, getting him to explain what he sees and vice versa, you're never gonna get the best out of that player. And for me, I would constantly feel powerless. And me and HB, I'm gonna call him HB, uh, maybe I can say his name, Henry Burris. We used to talk about this uh, very, very, um, it, it used to be quickly before and after games that you kind of just, he would say, yeah, you just gotta, you just gotta stick with it because we, we know what it is. And we would have that conversation every time we would meet because he understood the, all of the, the criticisms that were coming from coaches and fans. And he understood all of this stuff. And we would talk about it very, very small. And, and Damon Allen used to do the same thing to me, especially my first year playing. Uh, I remember talking to DA twice and he gave me some game, just like you, you gotta <laughs> kind of get along, right? Because you can't yeah. do too much or Oh, you're you're a prima donna, or you know too much, or you're so he's not uncoachable. They'll put that tag on you very quickly, and so that was you know a huge issue that I had growing up uh, and playing this game is that I knew more than what people would give me credit for, and I could tell you exactly where the ball should go. And finally, my my junior year, my officer quarter listened to me for one game. And he was like, holy shit, it, it actually, like, you were right. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, it, it was just very, very difficult for me because I'm outspoken. I've always been outspoken. I've always been not afraid to say what's on my mind. But I had to become very, very cautious in how I approached it because people would say, oh, you're a know-it-all, you're uncoachable, you're this or you're that. And I would, what I would want is for a coordinator to just listen to their guys. What do you see when you're playing cover two? Do you feel comfortable, you know, playing hard on the, on the, on the wide out? Or do you feel comfortable sitting at seven? You can get the same thing accomplished. It just, you just, it's just the communication. 
And I just think that's the best possible way to get the most out of players. Unfortunately, that's not just how the situation works. Tay, you can, you can, you know, speak to that because you're coaching now, but you've been on both sides of the coin. I think for me, I, I speak more so to what you said. Sometimes I know I, 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 you know, there's people out there that get butt hurt because I will make the statement like, if you want pizza, you don't go to Taco Bell. And I don't want to hear that. <laughs> I want to hear nothing about no Mexican pizza. But my whole point is, I, I am a big advocate of former athletes that have made it, quote unquote, made it. If Indeed. you have any desire to get into coaching, it, I, I, I'm, I, it behooves you. I encourage you. It's like you almost have to do it because of what you just said. Right. I know what it's like to uh, Marvin Harrison, mm-hmm. uh, Andre Rock. Uh, R.J. Sapworth, mm-hmm. uh, some uh, Chad Johnson. I know what it's like to really do that because I've done it. So mm-hmm. I know what it's like for a B in the course of a game, just like you talked about. There's there's no one way to skin a cat. We could get things accomplished in multiple ways. But I'm speaking from a player's coach perspective because I've I've walked in those shoes for many years. Indeed. So I understand. So just like with me coaching, they come to the sideline. So so what you what you looking at? Who key to three step read? The quarterback gonna read you the bedtime story. Look, where's the back? Is he is he weak or is he strong? How many receivers are? What's the what's the continuity continuity in terms of the the split? Is it is 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 number two tighter to the to the to the end man on the line? Is he tighter to the tackle or the tight end? Is the wide receiver on top of the numbers or on the bottom of the numbers? Mm-hmm. How you line up is how it's going to dictate how I play whatever was called for me on defense. On defense. Indeed. So I have a, I have an array of, of, of tools in my toolbox to where I can pull from on against any situation. So that's why I think Eric Bennemi and, and Andy Reid is having so much success because you got to remember, he was the first round running back. He was a high coming out of Colorado. He's, he's played in the league from a running back perspective. I have to know the front. So Indeed. it's not a stretch. It's not a stretch for him to to be off a very good offensive coordinator because he had to line up behind the shit and understand the blocking scheme, the, the weaknesses of, you know what I'm saying? You know, Indeed. his pass pro stuff. And then you know, obviously when you throw in with a guy with the talent of a Mahomes, oh man, and a Tyree Kill and all of a slew of other Kelsey and all these dudes, like it's you literally my not to digress, but Raider Nation, town business, they will always be. <laughs> they, they, got, they, they got that ass, but you have to almost shoot out. Like you said, you're not going to be able to contain that very long. And, and fortunately enough, uh, Derek Carr and those boys were able to hit some big plays early on and get that pendulum swing because you, you almost have to go like old school Texas Tech, oh, you like. 65 to 59 score like basketball Indeed. scores with them because they're so high powered but I, I agree with you 100 i think there need there there needs to be better communication um and 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 i've been in the coaching game for five years so that's another thing it what you said is 100 percent true it's a lot it's i thought there was so much so, so i thought it was the pilot the political game as a player was was, oh. was outrageous his coaching Ooh. game wow oh, man wow yes. that's all i'm gonna say that's wow. what i'm saying 
That, so, and that's the thing about sports. And I, I hate to interrupt you, Tay. I hate to interrupt you. That's the thing about sports that most armchair guys don't understand. This is a corporate entity first. Yeah. This is corporate. Yeah. This is corporate. This, so it, when it has to do with corporate, we talking about homeboys giving homeboys favors. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. They just call it what it is. And I, I think that when you you when you look at it that way, now you under, you can understand why some people get hired and some don't. Why the guy with the New York Jets is hired and other and 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 why other guys were looked over, passed over. It's it's homeboys doing homeboy favors. That's just what it is. And if you can look at it that way, ah, now we can address some real stuff because guys <laughs> should be coaching. Why isn't Chad Johnson? Co- Why isn't T.O. coaching? Why isn't Jerry Rice coaching? Okay. Why isn't Steve Young a head coach? He did it for so many years. Multiple MVP, Super Bowl MVP. You don't think he can coach your quarterback? So why is it that these guys, Jeff Garcia, Dave Dickinson, fortunately, is doing it, but, but it's far less guys who should be doing it that aren't. And the reason they aren't is because of the politics and, and, and homeboys and all that kind of crap. And that's what dilutes the game, in my opinion. Because when I was in the NFL, I know, and I know Tay will attest to this, when I was in the NFL, what I saw was guys who shouldn't have been there, flat out. I'm looking, I'm like, how he get in the league? And, I'm, I'm, and, and not just me, it's all pros that are saying that kind of stuff, right? And, it's, and, and I will say this, one of the receivers that I was in Kansas City with was roommates with the head coach's son. That's all I'm going to say. And he was drafted in the fifth round. Interesting. Very, very interesting, right? And it's it's not – everybody thinks it's, oh, it's the most talented guys that's on the field. That's not true. Right. That is not true. The most talented guys are not the ones that's playing. Oftentimes, the most talented guys are on your practice squads. And that's the – that's the – that – it's crazy to me and it is always angered me. And that's the reason why I didn't coach because I could, I'm seeing it. I'm looking right at the corporate entity and the veil was lifted for me because I was a quarterback. So I saw many things that most didn't. So I'm looking, I'm like, this guy's hired to be this for like, but he did, he never did that before. So how's he this when he never did it? Baffles me. And that's not the first time I've heard that about talent on the on the field on this podcast, Casey. It's not the first time. Absolutely. And it probably Absolutely. won't be the last. And it's the because it's the truth. I'm looking, I'm like, how is he the starter? But this guy is much better. Like, how does that work? Yeah. And it's just homeboys. You never know. It's home coaches, friends. It's just that corporate veil. Uh, often guys you hear. Uh, I'm sorry, oftentimes you hear coaches saying the best guy plays, the best guy plays. And when there's a quarterback competition or a wide receiver competition, the best guy plays, but that's not true. Mm-hmm. That's not true. It's never been true. That's just how it is. <laughs> so when you get into that 1%, I mean, there's what, you know, the 1%, right? So, mm. and you don't have the, the best guys playing, you know, like where does that leave players like yourself with talent who aren't playing? I mean, 
so now now we're down to like what 0.3 percent you know half percent mm-hmm. right you know Put it like this, my junior year, after my junior year in high school, I'm sorry, junior year in college at TCU, I entered my name to the NFL draft because I had contemplated coming out early. Uh, the reason I contemplated coming out early, and this is what drove a lot of my decisions as a player, I wanted to take care of my family, period. So this whole football thing for me and the decisions that I've made in the course of my career was all about taking care of my mom. I mentioned earlier that I was from Dallas, Texas, Oak Cliff, Texas to be exact, which is the intercity of Dallas. Very, very difficult place to grow up. My mom is, you know, was there and it was very, very hard for us growing up. And my goal was to make it out so I can take care of her. So after my junior year, I placed my name in the NFL draft. I wanted to see where I would be drafted. I was getting um, bites of third round to fifth round, mm-hmm. right? So I'm, I'm hearing all of this information, third round to fifth round. You are, you know, the coaches love you, blah, 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 all this kind of crap, right? I transferred my junior year because my coach, my head coach, took a job at Alabama. Okay. We're coming in with a brand new philosophy, new coaches, new this, new that. So it, it was like, okay, it's going to be different. I, I you know, and, and there's a lot that went on there uh, that I'm not going to speak about. Well, I, I actually can speak about it. I'll give y'all the game if you want to know it. But I ended up transferring. And all of a sudden, in one year, so I, I entered my name into the NFL draft after my junior year, and I'm draftable, third to fifth round. But I transferred, and now all of a sudden, yo, you're not draftable. Huh. So, so you go from being draftable, because I put my name in the draft, third to fifth round was what they would come back with. And all of a sudden, I transfer, and now you're not draftable. The coach that, that was the incumbent coach after I left said all these things. Oh, he's, he's this, he's that, he's this, he's that. Because again, I've always been loud and outspoken. I've never been that type of guy that will, when I see something wrong, I'll, I'll say something. Uh, but in that corporate entity that is the NFL and, and even Canada, mm-hmm. um, you have to tread lightly because if you don't, then people will put some bad stuff out there that will be the perception of what people think about you. And so it, it was very difficult for me not being drafted because I'm looking at guys who literally, I remember uh, East Carolina quarterback, Dave Ragone, Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback for, for a few years, told me on the field, oh, I'm definitely gonna see you on the next level. We're gonna be playing against each other in the league, right? Because of how we competed against each other when he was at East Carolina and me at TCU. And you're getting the respect of your peers and taking a test of this. This is not something I'm just, Dropping out of my ass. This is something that's real talk. Yeah. When your peers are telling you that you belong mm-hmm. and you're exiled for whatever reason, that it, it makes you go, what is this? You know, and I lost a lot of my love for the sport because of the corporate crap yeah. that goes on there. Yeah. Crazy. Any. So any any of those stories you want to share, Casey? I mean, you've got all you know. Let it rip. Uh, you know? 
let, you know, let's do this. Let's do this. Okay. Let's, let's cut through the bullshit. Let's get to the meat yeah. and potatoes. Let's do it, baby. Let's go. Let's, I'm let's warmed talk, up now. Let's talk about <laughs> the 2004-2005 DC Lions debacle, if if you will. Let's 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 get into it. Okay. Let's let's dive in. So, um, <clears throat> so in 2004. Uh, first of all, I was very, very distraught not being drafted. I yeah. mean, it, 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 it was crazy, go, again, given that story from going from junior year, being draftable, having to draft up a grade, all of a sudden your senior year, you're not draftable at all because you transferred. It, it really effed with me, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and again, every decision I made, I want you guys to really understand that. Every decision I made was to get my mom out the hood. Every decision I made, because my mom and my brother, the most important things in the world to me. Now, I, now I have children. Obviously, they've taken it. You know, it's, that's changed. But it's it's just a, at that time, 22, 23 years old. My mentality was get my mom, my brother out the hood. Mm-hmm. So every decision I made was to do that. When I did not get drafted, I was hard. I mean, my heart was broken into pieces several times over. Uh, imagine being in the draft room and every guy next to you gets drafted. My agent at the time, who, who was my uncle, okay, and I can speak on that too, every guy that he had on board was drafted. And we all had comparable careers. It wasn't like this guy was so 10 times better than that guy. It wasn't that at all. We were all about the same. And well, some were rated higher than others, but we were still draftable, all of us. Mm-hmm. And I was the only one not drafted. I, I remember this like it was yesterday. It was like a scene from a movie. I went out to a football field and it rained. And I was standing in the middle of the football field, crying my eyes out. It was the most pain because when you're when you're an athlete and you're you're trying to go and, and do this thing, and a decision you make costs you that thing. That wasn't the, these decisions weren't like life threatening. It wasn't robbing or killing or anything like that. We're talking a, a business decision cost you your career it really does something to you it, it, it really does and i it fucks you up let me just give it to you straight yeah um so when i went to canada and i'm sitting there my first year double d is playing and he's killing right i'm i'm just i'm hurt because i'm watching all my guys play on sunday and so in the in in canada friday night saturdays you playing sunday you watch games yeah. So I'm watching games these Sunday mornings. I'm seeing the very guys that I played against, all this stuff. It destroyed me. So what I did was I was like, okay, when this season is done, I'm going to train like no man has ever trained before, ever. And that's what I did. There's a, there's called this fracture. For, for peer acceleration program, it's a super treadmill. And I was on that super treadmill every day, mm-hmm. every single day. I was training three times a day. 
I didn't get go home and get a job because my first year I was only making 40 grand in Canada. So that's not enough. When you cross the border, that's barely 20, $20,000. Mm-hmm. But I figured out a way to just train. And that's all I did. And every single person around me was like, you got to use Canada as a stepping stool to get to the league. Yeah. Every person that I talked to, that was the mentality. Stepping stool league. Stepping stool league. It wasn't like the league is comparable. You can stay there your whole career, have a 15-year career, make tons of money, da 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 It wasn't that at all. The mentality was stepping stone career to get to the NFL because that's what's going to pay the millions, right? Yeah. So that was the mentality. And I want you guys, as I unveil this story, to always come back to that. That was the mentality, just to always keep the NFL at your forefront, Canada is the stepping stone, is the, is the stepchild to the NFL. Mm-hmm. So I trained, trained, and I trained. And when I came back my second year, I was like, nobody is going to stop me from getting on this field. Yeah. Because I've got to, my goal coming into that year, I wrote them all down. Throw for 5,000 yards, throw for 35 touchdowns, Rush for a thousand. I had all these goals laid out because I knew what would get the attention of the NFL. That was my goal. Remember, now that's agent, homeboys, everybody around me was saying Kansas is the stepping stone, the stepping stone league. And so that's how I approached it. So when I began to play, everything started to happen. Like it just started to happen. All the training, all of the devotion, all of the being on that super treadmill day in and day out, being able to run long, run fast, it all came to fruition because I was this lion, metaphorically speaking, not necessarily the BC lion, but metaphorically. I had the mentality of that nothing was going to get in my way. I was going to get to the NFL, period. I didn't care. If I had to run the ball a hundred times or you get open and me throw it to you. That was what I walked in to that BC Lions meeting room. When I took over as a starting quarterback, that is what I said to my teammates. We are going to attack. I don't give a damn who is on the other side. If you are running down the field and you are not expecting the the ball, get off the field. Literally, this is what this 23-year-old guy is saying to all of these eight, seven, eight-year vets you know, Claremonts and, and G-Roy's. And I'm, I walked in saying all this because I was so determined, mm-hmm. determined to take care of my family. And I didn't, it didn't care. I didn't care how it was going to happen. I was going to take care of my family. And so as I began this, this thing about being, you know, this 2004 MVP campaign, that was just, it was, two years of bottled up pain that I was going through that I was just going to let out. And, you know, and I got to say this, at times I was not a very good leader and a very good teammate. I was this young kid who all he wanted to do was take care of his family. That's it. And I didn't care who was around. I didn't, savage was my mentality. And so it just, you know, that, that whole campaign in 2004 was just about, I was just so hurt 
behind everything that was going on in my life that I was going to take it out on the field. Mm -hmm. That's what happened. So when, when it comes to the Grey Cup, so all, you know, when we won eight games in a row that year, that was, at the time it was a BC Lions record. You know, the stats was insane. Cats was getting numbers that shouldn't have been getting numbers necessarily. It's just, we just, it just took off. And um, when we got to the Grey Cup, here's a story for you. I had hurt my shoulder the week before. It was a sprained AC joint. It's right on the top of your shoulder. And what the sprained AC joint doesn't allow you to do is it just doesn't allow you to raise your arm all the way uh, because it's sore. But as the week goes on, it heals. You put ice on it, it just it naturally heals up. And so the, the, um, the day before the game, we're at the hotel. I received a phone call to come down to the lobby. It's WB and it's JS. I ain't saying no names. Y'all gonna have to go figure it out. Don't need to. So WB and JS bring me down to the, uh, the lobby area and we sit down. Never told anybody this, okay? Right away, WB says, we're gonna start double D. Now again, you have to go back to my mentality, okay? My mentality is the NFL, okay? I had done everything that I needed to do on tape wise to get the attention of the NFL. They're already calling. They're already inquiring about my services. So to me, it was like, oh, okay. They told me, it's like, oh, okay. They were like, do you have any questions? It's like, nah, I mean, I'm just gonna do what is best for the team. At the time, they thought it was best for the team. So I'm thinking it's best for the team. I'm not trying to overthrow my coaches. Remember, you gotta, like, if you listen to this conversation, I come from a mentality where I will speak. I have no problem with speaking out. But when you're in this corporate veil, this corporate entity, you really have to tread lightly because people will speak on you and that become the perception. So it's, I'm gonna be a good teammate, I'm gonna sit still, and I'm just gonna let you guys do what y'all do because you guys know obviously what's going on. So my again, my mentality, um, because again, I was not a very good leader at the time. I, Leadership to me is inspiring. It's, it's, it's inspiring a group of people. That's what leadership is. And you inspire people through passion and, and zeal and, and your determination to get something. That's what inspiration is. And when you, when you, when you attribute that to leadership, that's to me what leadership is all about. It's inspiring those around you. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't a very good vocal leader because I'm only 22, 23 on a team with Tyrone Williams, big cat who walks in the meeting room on the first day and said, what's up? Call us all kind of names. And he said, we're going to do this in the meeting rooms. 
you're going to clean up after yourself. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. Who going to try me? Right. So we, we've got leadership vocally that are on all levels. So I didn't feel I needed to be that. I just feel I, I felt for myself that I just needed to be me and just be me 100 percent. But without the, the vocal theatrics, let's just sit back and let me just do me. Yeah. So that's just what happened in, in 2004. And, and I digress when I go there. But I want you to understand the mentality. So when I'm sitting there and they're telling me who's going to be the starter, I was like, okay, no problem. Cool. Not, I didn't go in there like, I did this for this team and I didn't, no, no, no. It was none of that. It was like, all right, cool. No problem. Again, as I'm standing on that sideline, watching the Grey Cup, my mind was like, yeah, I see where I can come in and, and attribute to the team. But again, my mentality was NFL, NFL, NFL. Right or wrong or indifferent, what everybody around me was saying was NFL. You got to do whatever it takes to get to the NFL, period. And I felt like I had done enough. So when they didn't play me, I wasn't but hurt behind that. I To me, I had done everything that I needed to do to get to the goal, to take care of my family. So that was my mentality, period, point blank. End of discussion. Right, wrong, or indifferent. Now, I could have went kicking and scratching trying to get in the game, but my teammates did that for me after. I've never seen a group of individuals fight for me like I saw after that game. And that made the entire experience change for me. Because up until that point, it was all about the NFL, all NFL, 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 NFL. And when Carl Kidd came in that locker room after that game, he was like, how the fuck does an MVP not playing the game? He went crazy. Baron Simpson, who is the most mild-mannered Hall of Famer that I can ever, mild-mannered individual, walked up to me and was like, are you hurt? What, you ain't playing? Like, these are, my, these are my teammates who are coming to bat for me. And it, it, it was, and, and then when, the, when the, uh, the reporters came in the locker room after the game, I'm just stunned. I'm so stunned because so many people are fighting for me that never has, has never happened for me. It's never happened to me. And so when the, the reporters come in the game and they stick a microphone in my face and they say, how do you feel? They just, all they said was, how do you feel? You didn't play. And they just waited for me to give a response. It was just like, uh, 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 I, it just, I, I don't know, we, we lost. That's the only thing I can muster up to get out. Was, and that, the reason that was is because I was so in awe of so many people fighting for me. That has never happened to me in my entire football career. So apparently I had inspired others. I just didn't do it in the manner that most would have wanted. Okay. So that was 2004. Yes, it was a debacle. Yes, they handled it very, very wrong. And when people came to me, say go ahead, Tay. Go ahead. So being your teammate on that team and being in that locker room. And I and I talked about this when we had DA on. I talked about this when we had, uh, uh, when, we, when we talked to Nick, right? So 
I'm going to say this. Mm-hmm. Wrong, right, or indifferent. I think there was some sense of a divide. Only, mm-hmm. it wasn't a, a, a Dave, a Double D versus a Casey thing. Because, you know, y'all, y'all are guys. Like, Double D is a good dude. So it Absolutely. never it never was that. I think it was. And it never was that with me either. It was never I, that with me either. Go ahead, Ty. But I'm going to say from your being your teammate, it kind of mm-hmm. felt as if, though, and I've stated this many times, yo, give the the, 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 the hot hand who's had this phenomenal season mm-hmm. the opportunity to go out on the biggest stage in pro football next to the Super Bowl, because that's what it is. If, if, for those of y'all that don't know, if y'all right. see the dreams we got, it, is, it, it is what it is. So, right. um in any event, give give the give the hot hand the young guy, the guy who's the most valuable player in the league, the opportunity to go out here and start the game. Sure. The reason why I felt like that is because obviously you got a Dave Dickinson who's had two years with the Chargers, wake up winner already, knows the league, et cetera, et cetera. And hmm. you happen to falter. Sure. You bring in the seasoned veteran guy to come in and, 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 and close the deal. That's just was my personal opinion. And I know you was a little dinged up. However, I still think you would have posed some problems for Toronto's defense, all that match crap. They wouldn't have been able to really do that because you had sure. mobile. So can you elaborate on, because I think a lot of people think that you, you I, I personally believe people have a, a, a skewed view of you because I personally know you. So can uh-huh. you get into that because this is a platform like I, like we always talk about. We're giving yeah. athletes and former athletes the opportunity to express themselves beyond the game. So sure, can you please clarify that? Yeah, and and uh, so when I um, uh, when I first got to Canada, of course I hired my agent, who was my uncle. Uh, when I left TCU, there was so much bad energy about me coming out because um number one um i had left on not so good terms with the head coach um and 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 there's reason behind it i'll just give you all a quick story i walk into his locker room into his uh his coach's office and uh he and someone that i know very closely were at odds because of me years prior so so this is gary patterson who's the head coach at tcu right now so when i first got to tcu gary patterson and someone that i knew very closely were in the defensive meeting room and and he had some bad energy about me now here i'm this 18 year old kid and this man this grown man is talking all crazy about me anyway so he held on that to that resentment it wasn't anything i did it was somebody else having a conversation about me it's crazy. So here I am. And that's what I'm talking about with egos and all that. So uh, he became the head coach. And he brought me into his room, his head coaching office. And he, like, dove into me. Oh, you're not this, what you think you are. You're not that, what you think you are. Like, wait, what? Like, this is a grown man talking to a 19-year-old, 20-year-old kid. And so... I felt my only option was to leave. This, this guy clearly doesn't have my best interest at heart. 
he's talking crazy to me. Like, you're going to have to compete for your job. And I'm a three-year starter, 22 and eight as a starter. You talking all crazy. And, and it just, I felt like I had to leave because of that. So when I tra transferred, I got all this bad press, right? And I never told anybody about this stuff because, again, this as an African-American quarterback, back then especially, when you were speaking out, people would put you into a box. Oh, we're going to exile him. He speaks too much. He talks too. So you got you to gotta hush it. And so that's what I did. And I mean, they tore into me. But anyway, I digress. I give you that story to explain this next situation. So my agent is my uncle. Mm -hmm. And in 2003, 2004, 2005, all the way in my the first years of my CFL career, He's my agent. This man was talking to um, Dollywall, uh, uh, Team 1080 Sports, 1040 Sports, Rick Dollywall. They're exchanging information. Again, this is nothing I'm doing. They're exchanging information for what reason I have no idea. And so in exchange for what Rick Dollywall knew, my agent was was giving them information that I'm thinking. Now, a man is speaking for me, saying this kind of stuff. Remember, I I didn't feel like I had to be a vocal leader with the BC Lions. We had Tyrone Williams. We had G. Roy Simon. We had Baron Simpson. We had, we had Mark Washington and Baron Miles and all these great leaders. So I didn't have to do any talking. Here it is, someone talking on my behalf, telling people how I think. And I'm like, and, and, and again, this stuff was getting back to the, the local media in BC. So I'm like, people are coming up to me telling me, you think like this, why? I'm like, wait, what? I think like, what? No, I don't think like that. What are you talking about? Who, who's telling you this? Well, we getting this from a source, a source, a source. And all the while, it was my agent having these conversations with a radio guy. Wow. So, uh, yeah, so I'm... I'm having to play defense when I was in BC a lot because of people speaking on my behalf. And it's just crazy that all the media would start saying stuff and they started printing all this stuff about me and saying that I'm saying it. And it was not true. So that became the perception about me, this, that, and a third that someone else was saying. That's what Tay is talking about. There's all this, there was all this, you know, me guy this, me guy that. Sure, I will give you that. And I will be the first to admit, I wasn't a great leader when it comes to being out front and, and saying my piece about um, uh, being a great BC Lion, again, a, big, a great teammate. It, that just wasn't, it, my mindset again, was about taking care of my family. If you go back to that, that was the driving factor behind every decision I made. So if you want to call me selfish because of that, okay, cool, I'll give you that. But as far as what the other people will be coming back saying, and this person said this, I was like, what? Like, I'm keeping my mouth closed. So it was very much so a very frustrating time for me because I couldn't come out and speak on it because again, I'm this young black kid who's playing quarterback 
and they take your words and they spin them all around because somebody else is saying this and somebody's saying that and they marry everything together. It was just a huge debacle. And many, many, many days I would go home and just close the door or I would go up to Burnaby Mountain. I, oh, this is this makes me even emotional now. I would drive to Burnaby Mountain and literally go to the top of Burnaby Mountain and I would just cry my eyes out because there was so much media pressure, so many people saying this, so many people talking about that. And it wasn't me talking. It was somebody else talking on my behalf. And it was so fr it was so incredibly frustrating to have all of this going on. You're trying to run a team and, and be a great quarterback and do all this stuff because again, we're in the midst of winning all these games in a row. You got all this media hype and attention, and now all of a sudden they try to tear at you and tear you down. It was just so much for me. As a young kid, there's no family around. You can't call home. My phone bill is outrageous because I'm trying to call. It's just, it was, it was so much happening. And all I wanted to do was take care of my family. That's it. That's it. And there was just all this noise. And the only way for me to cope with that was to go to Burnaby Mountain, just sit and listen to how quiet it was and just cry. And then after I finished crying, all right, pull it together. You got to get back down into this shit and you got to go make it happen because you got a family to feed. So you, that was my, you, always my mentality. Go ahead, Tay. Do you think that all that, that media circus and all the hoopla um, negatively affected 2005? Because at, I think a lot of people thought yes, I'm kind of wet. The great mm -hmm. cup situation, right? So that's mm -hmm. what that's why I asked that. I was there, mm -hmm. I know what it was, I know what it is. Mm -hmm. it, yeah. is what it is. Right. Do you that that because I but I've talked to people and I'm like, nah, he ain't tripping like you know, so, <laughs> you know, because I, I was there. Cause matter right I, uncle was my agent for two years. Exactly. So I know a lot of the, the, the ins and outs in the background. I don't wanna I don't wanna speak on it because that shit I'm gonna let sure. you I know the real deal. So right. I think some people uh, question whether you came into the 05 season with a, with some with some resentment behind mm -hmm. the end of 2004 and you know um, people mesh 04 and 05 and parts of 06 with the latter. And mm -hmm. I I personally don't like that because the Casey I know in the case he, that in the end is what they portrayed and they meshed all that together. It's two different, two different dudes. Right. So, and so, yeah, let me give you what happened in 05. So 04, again, now, and at the end of 03, I left there like I'm about to train like an animal. Okay. So I have all the success in 2004. After I had the success, I'm like, okay, I've got to train even harder. Okay, so I went back to that training regiment, and this time I tacked on an extra training session per day. So I'm training three times a day in the Texas heat, hard as hell. 
every single day. And two weeks before training camp, or three or four weeks before training camp, my shoulder, my um, um, it's called the supraspinatus, infraspinatus muscles, mm-hmm. uh, rear delts, all of that was because I threw the ball so much that my arm literally gave out, literally gave out. And I'm getting around the clock treatment. I couldn't throw. And I get to training camp and I'm coming in hurt because of, of the overtraining. I That was a de- very definition of overtraining. I overtrained because I'm looking at 04 and like I've got to build on that campaign. Let's get with it. And so uh, that training led to a bum right shoulder. And so when I came into training camp, they're like, what do you think about the quarterback controversy? Quarterback controversy. That was the whole thing coming into 05. And I was like, there is no quarterback controversy. I really cannot throw. I really, right now, if I wanted to, I can't pick up a ball and throw it across the field. I can't do it. And so that's where the, the media were like confused by it. And they started creating these stories that he's this, that, and the third, he's feeling this kind of way from 04. No, not at all. Again, I'm not worried about no great cup. I'm not worried about that debacle of what they did. All I care about is feeding my family, man. That's all I want to do is take care of my family. That's it. What y'all do with this, you know, that and the third, I don't care about all that. I don't care. Y'all made y'all decision. That y'all made y'all bed cool. Y'all do what y'all do. So I didn't come back until six, seven games in. That's how bummed out my shoulder was. And so when I came back, we were able to rekindle some of the things that we were able to do in 04. But obviously my shoulder was just, it was, it was, and it really didn't get right until the very end of the season. And I remember this just like it was yesterday, boy. Uh, end of 05. We're in, a, we're in the, uh, I don't know if it was even the Western Conference Final. We were playing Edmonton. Yep. And Double D had a couple of bad plays. Not, not he was playing bad. He had a couple of bad plays, and they pulled him. Because they didn't want what happened in 04 to happen in 05. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, I don't, again, I don't feel any kind of way about it. I was really... Um, it, it, it was confusing to me, like why I'm going in when Double D is actually playing really good. He just had a couple bad plays, and they just threw me in the game. It was like I was like, all right, so I'm in there playing, and of course we lose. And again, you know, uh, if I can be frank with you guys, in '05, I had a different mentality, you know, along with with uh, you know, want to take care of my family because that was always a driving factor. I fell in love with being in BC. I really did. Like I, I really started to enjoy this, you know, this experience because at first all it was to me was a stepping stone. You got to get to the NFL, get to the NFL. And it was still that, but I fell in love with the, with the entire province and, and playing football in BC. So, I had a, a huge emotional meltdown after the game. Like, I just melted down after the game. And it was because of the journey of, of when I first got there to that point. Um, and that team, because that team was a championship caliber team. 
The locker room was amazing. It was great teammates. It was really good laughs and it was great times. I just, it was just really difficult after all of that, all of a sudden it's over and now it's time to focus on the NFL. So I just had a, like a, a meltdown. It was just crazy. But um, 05 was very interesting because I came into the year hurt and many people don't really understand that. So it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy all the things, it's looking back on it, how it all shook out. Um, you know, but yeah, 05, they were trying to make up for 04, mm-hmm. which is, again, it's this whole corporate thing got to satisfy whomever and it was just weird how hard was it for you to deal you know with the media and like you know situations they they're creating and you know everybody's talking you obviously can't even go home and turn the tv on without hearing something about casey printers being a young a young cat you know a young you know 21 22 23 they don't teach Mm -hmm. you how to deal with this stuff you know, there's, there's no. no book on dealing with these situations. How, how do you, how do you deal with it? That's, is, you know, that's what I did. I mean, I, I would go to Burnaby Mountain. Um, I would, you should see my movie collection. Like you should really see, but back then we were DVD, like for real. Go to Rogers Video and every single week when there was a new release, I would go buy every single DVD they had. My DVD collection is insane. That's where my love for movies came from. I would literally go home, you know, I'm going to, you know, uh, uh, to Burnaby Mountain, or I would drive around the city, or I would just watch movies. That's it. I'm on the, on the mountain, driving, just aimlessly driving, because I know I can't turn the TV on. Uh, it was just, it was very stressful. And many people don't understand how, you know, these quarterbacks can put all of this stuff on their shoulders, man. And, and lots of people have mental breakdowns that people, they don't tell anybody. But you have these mental struggles because it's impossible to go through this stuff and not be able to talk about it. Like, it's just, mm-hmm. there's so much going on. It is so much going on that you guys will never understand. Walking in these meetings, you already know they want somebody else to play. Okay. They're talking to you like they want somebody else to play. That stress right there, knowing that if you go in the game and you mess up, you could be messing up an opportunity to take care of your family. So all of the stress, it was so stressful. That's the best way to describe it. It was so stressful being in a situation where no, these guys, and I'm not talking about my teammates because my teammates are, they're like indifferent. Teammates are like best players should play. Teammates are like, you know, if you doing good, you the hot hand, you should play. It's just simple for us, but not in the corporate veil. And again, the quarterback is the bridge from the upper office to the players. They're the bridge. So you're getting the corporateness come out to these dinners and shake hands with our, you know, trusted alumni and you're shaking hands with donors to the, to the Lions organization, but then you have to go down and be one of the guys. So it was so stressful having double D and I going to the same places. We having to do this kind of these, these, all these media attention and all this kind of stuff. 
And you can just feel that they've created this tension between Double D and I. And I'm, look, I have always been a fan of Dave. When I got there in 03, Dave Dickinson was the best quarterback I'd ever seen. He would throw balls. I'm like, there's no way. What? How did how did he complete that? There's no way he's throwing that. What? Like he would catch the ball. And I this is things that I would see. And again, I am a huge fan of just X's and O's. So when Double D would catch the ball and he would turn the throw, he's throwing it. The wide receiver ain't even looking. Mm-hmm. He's running and then he looks, ball is there. Bam. And it was just, I thought that was amazing. And I always, always, always had a great admiration for, for, for Dave Dickinson. He is one of the best quarterbacks, NFL, CFL, college, I have ever seen, period, point blank. And it's, don't even talk about it. He won the best I've seen, period. Because some of the balls he would throw, I'm like, it's just no way. And so, it, again, coming back to, to, to what and how stressful it was, it was just very, very hard for a young guy who's got all of these dreams and aspirations and goals to take care of his family by making it to the NFL, set aside all the wishes and, and, and everything of everybody around me, everybody that I grew up with, Texas high school football. When you want, you, you come to Texas and you're watching a, a, a playoff game, you're going to see 50,000 in the stands. You're not, you're not coming to, it's not like some, you know, 10,000. No, no, it's not anything like that. We have 50, 60,000. And you can see that on a, just a regular game, let alone uh, the playoffs. So you can imagine the level of people around me who's talking about the NFL. That's all we know. That stress, coaching stress, because they really don't want you to play. Media attention, they, they tearing at you every chance they can get. And then just trying to be one of the guys. So it was just extremely stressful. I can't even tell you how stressful it was. It was so, so stressful. Um, and it was hard for me to deal with. Just to be quite frank with you, it was just hard to deal with. I think I, I explained this analogy a few times. So real quick, a, a, a professional athlete or, or a division one college athlete, all in the same, right? When you mm-hmm. talk about being under stress, here's the... Yeah. Here's Here's the prime example of a day in the life, right? You have to be Clark Kent. Indeed. Or Bruce Banner. Indeed. Every day. And then block of time, I now have to go in the phone booth, put on my cape and my and my and my and my and my male Leotard. Indeed. Then when I come off of the field, I have to go back into the to the phone booth and put back on Dante the civilian. Sure. Understand that, you know, I'm going to go to battle. People don't understand when you make the correlation with football and war. They don't get when really you can die on the football field. Indeed. Paralyzed on the football field. You can break your neck on the football field. Jonathan Hefty sustained an injury, changed his life. Indeed. Montreal. You know, these things can seriously happen. You can can lose a limb out there. So the correlation between football and war, it's it's pretty relevant. It's it's, it's, it's a decent connection right there, right? 
So I'm not condoning, you know, uh, crazy behavior by, by star athletes, but to give the, the, the regular people a glimpse at what it is, when I have to go to practice every day and I'm not only being watched by my employer who's paying mm-hmm. wants to replace me, obviously, because if he could get somebody else, that's that's the constant thing about pro sports. If he could get stress cheaper, he gonna do it. So it's no it's no 60, 90 day, you know, assessment period like a regular job. It's every day. So not Absolutely. only my employer who in, who cuts my check watching my every move every day, I have people at home talking shit, watching my performance, ridiculing, criticizing. I have fans, media, and my employer. So the amount of stress on a professional athlete is tremendous. No question. When you have to prepare yourself to go out there and battle, right? And then have to come off the field and be a civilian again. When you see some of these 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 acts that some of these professional athletes commit, I am not in any sense of the word condoning their behavior, but I understand because I've been mm-hmm. in that situation. Right. I know what it's like because I'm I have to be raw, but then I got to go home and be a husband. I got to go home right. and be a father to some kids. I have to Indeed. keep myself accordingly in society. So people have to understand, let's stop talking about their money, their, their contract, and let's start talking about them as people. Because Indeed. you said something earlier, and, and, and Brian, we talked about this before, we're going to do more shows on that topic. The mental health aspect is huge. When I was just going to get into that as well, sorry. So put, put aside the football problems, there's also life. You're either a father, a husband, a boyfriend, You've got sick family. You've got all these other things to deal with. And I can honestly, Casey, I can't imagine being in your shoes, dealing with all this stuff. That's crazy. I can't imagine it. As a 22 year old, 23 year old, you're dealing with all of that life stuff. And and, um, yeah, I mean, you know, family members passing away, just a lot of stuff was happening and you just have to bury that hatchet. And like Tay said, and that's a very eloquent way of saying it stepping into the phone booth and becoming someone else. Um, and then, you know, imagine all this stress that's on you and you're trying to go out to eat and you get fans who don't know, mm-hmm. they come up to you and you get fans who talking crazy to you. Like, you should have did this and you should like, it's like, dude, you have no idea what I'm going through right now. No. You know, and that's a very, very tough thing to, to, to do. And, um, Again, like, you know, and I can bring this back to, to Dak Prescott. And, and it, I, obviously we're all praying for Dak to get well. And obviously that injury is crazy. But prior to that, I'm looking on Facebook and now people can see it publicly. Like they just right there on Facebook. We didn't really have this when we were, you know, playing. Uh, but now people are just voicing it openly. Oh, he doesn't deserve this type of money or this thing. Man, listen, y'all have no idea. If, and I'm the BC Lions quarterback in the province of British Columbia, the province of British Columbia versus America's team. Yeah. The province of British Columbia versus America's team. The amount of stress that I'm sure that that young man is going through losing mom and brother and you got all this going on, this media attention, people are talking about what you deserve. 
learn and what you should take. And, you know, you got all that going on. Then you got your family, you know, stressed out. Then you're trying to overcome all of the stereotypes and go win games. Then the stress is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. He deserves and every player deserves every single penny that comes their way. There's no question about that. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) No question. Get to the bag, brother. Man, we would see we would see cats come in on a Tuesday, mm-hmm. brand new to the team, and you starting on a Friday. Mm-hmm. You come in on a Tuesday, you start on a Friday, you don't perform well, you out on Monday. Yeah. So you like we're watching this. Tay and I are there. We're watching how while uh, I'm not gonna say no names, how WB is um is is conducting all of this. Right, you you're watching how all this is unfolding. Where guys are come in, play, sent home, and it's like, dang, like, so what would happen if I'm not performing? Mm-hmm. It's always sitting in the back of your head, and it happened. My last year, oh man, my last year in BC. I don't know if y'all want to go into this right now, but I, I guess I'll go ahead and speak on this. I brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> so I um. And, and obviously thrilled to come back to BC after the debacle what was the Tiger Cats. First of all, I was a broken kid. Bro- when I say broken, I was broken after I got cut from the NFL. You don't, you don't know the level of brokenness unless you saw me after I got cut from the, from the Kansas City Chiefs. I went home and I laid on my couch and did not move for a week. I was broken because I worked my ass off to get to that stage and then get there, see that that, that you can do, you are there. Nobody's just better than you and taking a test to this. No, they're not just better than you. They may be more experienced, but they're not better. And for me, I always thought that the best player plays because that's what coaches always say. Not true. Not true. So being in that type of environment, seeing it at a at, you right there, I'm looking right at it. I'm getting Hall of Famers telling me. Hall of Famers, not just good teammates with the Chiefs, Hall of Famers. Yo. You could like you. They need to put you in with the ones. Hall of Famers telling me that. Well, to now they cut you. I I was beyond depressed. I was I was I was I can't even imagine. Like I can't even tell you when the Hamilton Tiger Cats finally because my agent again he was pulling all these stunts. I was supposed to go to Montreal. This wasn't my doing. This is my, I'm like, wait, wait, get off the plane. You get off the plane. You come back home. You're going to Hamilton. I'm like, wait, what? Wait, wait, what? Whoa, whoa, I'm just, I just, I just landed in Montreal. What are we doing? Get off the, come back, come back. It's like, and I, again, I'm trusting my agent. So when I got to Hamilton, it was this huge media uproar. Oh, he stiff arms the Montreal out of the way. I ain't even, like, I'm like, what? I thought I was going to Montreal. So I'm getting the same type of stuff that everybody else is getting. Anyway, I get to Hamilton. I was a broken young man. Broken. 
I get to Hamilton. Three days later, I'm starting in the game. Wow. Okay? So you can imagine everything that I was going through, all the stress that I was with, with Kansas City, because you already understand the, the corporate veil. I'm lifting it up for you so you can see it for yourself. The, the, the best guys or who they say are the best guys are not. Mm-hmm. It's not true. But because they went to Alabama or they went to Clemson or they went to Florida State, they have some mystique that you don't. When on my way out of Kansas City, the general manager, we weren't even a general manager. He was a, a, a player personnel guy who said, your pedigree wasn't good enough. That's why you didn't make this roster. Your pedigree wasn't good enough. He said that on HBO. Wow. Your pedigree wasn't good enough. And pedigree, because I had to go look it up. I didn't know what pedigree was. And mm-hmm. in this sense, it means from where you have come from. So either you're saying, I'm this black kid and where I come from wasn't good enough for the organization, or me playing in Canada wasn't good enough. Wow. So, so it wasn't, that's the reason he gave me for not making that club, okay? Now this is after team presidents come up to me, general managers, all, they all praise, oh my goodness, you've done so well, and you, man, you're in this blah, 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 and then they cut you. Mm-hmm. And so, again, my, my, my family was at the forefront of this. Like, again, I'm thinking about taking care of my family. I'm only thinking about the first check I'm getting, what I'm going to be able to do to my, you know, help my mom and this and that, blah, 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 blah. And they just cut you and it just discards you. Mm-hmm. So when I signed to Hamilton, I was just, a, I was, that whole experience was just, it, it flew by. Like, literally flew by because I just, wasn't there. I just wasn't there. I, I stopped training as hard. I was just broken. So when I get back to BC, I'm thrilled. I'm like, okay, now I can got something to hang my hat on. When we were playing at Empire Field, the second game of the year, we were playing against the Montreal Alouettes, first or second game of the year. I throw a ball. I remember this like it was yesterday. I, I break the pocket. I throw a ball. I come down on my right leg and pow, I feel my, my, my leg do something weird, does something like that, all right? It just kind of separates. I've played the entire half of football. Go get an MRI. It's a torn ACL. Wow. No, nobody ever knew that. Nobody ever knew that. They would call it a sprained knee. They called it a sprained knee. I will never forget this as long as I live. Nobody knows this. My, I called my agent at the, and it was my uncle at the time, let him know I got an ACL. He's like, get it fixed, get it fixed. And right away, no question, go get it fixed. You need to, you need to go get it uh, repaired. I called Dr. McCormick, BC Lions. Doc, I'm gonna get the ACL fixed. Hang up. Five minutes later, it's WB. You can't get ACL surgeries. The team needs you. There's been, there's been plenty of guys that play with a torn ACL. Kevin Glenn, blah, blah, blah. Stop pointing out all these guys, right? So, of course, I'm so thrilled to be back in BC. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to fight it out for my team. I'm going to fight it out. I didn't say a word. Kept it under wraps. I rehab for five weeks, and I came back, and I'm playing with a 
fully ruptured ACL. Nobody wow. knows that to this day until now. And I, of course, I'm not the same. I'm out there playing on a bumblet. I can't run. That's part of my game. We got to losing, and WB's head was on the chopping block. I get back out there, and I'm not the same. He calls me to his office and says, hey, hey, we're going to have to make some decisions here, Casey. Some stuff's not going right. We're going to have to make some decisions, right? Right? That's how WB talk, right? Right? <laughs> right? Am I lying to So, So I'm like, is he talking about the guy with a torn ACL? Just putting it all on the line? So Winnipeg, 2010, Lule starts the game. They bring me in in relief for, for Lule. Um, end of the game, I throw an interception. And they had pick six, OK? And I'm throwing the ball to O'Neal Wilson. Now, I got to give you this little backstory. Prior to that game in Winnipeg, I'm still in BC rehab and we had a bye week. O'Neill doesn't go home. Him and I stay. We're working out all week long. And it just so happens they call a play that if O'Neill does what we worked on, okay, either they break it up, a PBI, they pass breakup, or, or he, gets, he catches the ball, but he gets tackled. Very least, that's what would happen. O'Neill runs the, the, the bend in. It's like a five-yard in route, okay? Five yards up, and then he runs inward towards me. But if the halfback is high within this play, he keeps coming. O'Neill stops. The halfback drives, catches a pick, and runs in a, he runs it back for a touchdown. I run over to O'Neill. I'm like, don't stop. Why would you stop? We worked on this all week. Why would you do this? Blah, 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 blah. TV cameras right there on me. Oh, Casey Prentice is yelling at his teammate. I'm like, why would you stop? That's my, what you would read on my face when I'm talking to O'Neill at that moment is, don't stop. Why would you stop? We worked on this all week. You can literally read those words. So anyway, after that game, WB brings me into his office. You're yelling at, your, at a right receiver. We got to fix this. I just saw Tom Brady two weeks ago, this, these last couple of weeks, screaming F-bombs at his guys. And that's no big deal. I've seen uh, uh, so many quarterbacks. F-bomb this, F-bomb that on the sideline. You know, I can just point to so many. But somehow, when I go and, and tell my receiver at the end of the game not to do this and that, we worked on this, blah, 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 blah. Now I'm just this for whatever reason. So mind you, we're losing and WB's head is on the chopping block. So, it, you know, in a long story made short, he's like, you got to go apologize to him. Okay, cool. I'll go apologize. Hey, oh, I, I apologize after the game, but I'm going to apologize again, bro. I didn't mean it. I, I, I know it came off wrong. I probably shouldn't have came at you like that. Listen, we, we ran this play several times. Me with you one-on-one -on -one training all week long. And all, all of a sudden, you know, I, it just, I, I'm sorry. A couple hours later, I see on TV, Casey Print is released. So we're talking about the guy with the torn ACL who you call. Nobody knows that, by the way, because that's a lawsuit. It's a huge lawsuit. 
Nobody knows that WB called me and told me, don't, you can't have ACL surgery. Nobody knows that. And so now you t you're trying to make it seem like I'm the reason why we're losing and you're going to cut me. Davis Sanchez, who was on TSN right now, I'll be seeing Davis on, on, C on TSN. After I would clean out my locker and I'm walking out of that facility, he ran down the street. Casey, hey, 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 hey. Man, he using you as a, as a scapegoat. He's using you as a scapegoat. He know his head on the chopping block. He wrong for that. He wrong for that. He's using you, man. I just want you to know that. I've got a torn ACL. Again, I've got teammates that are fighting for me. You see what I'm saying? So it, like, nobody understood the ramifications. And when your head coach, you know, asks you not to have ACL, so you, you, don't, you don't think that he would come back and then cut you on some bullshit like, oh, you were screaming at a teammate. That's, that, uh, come on, man. So anyway, that is what happened my last year in BC. Tore my ACL. And I'm going to battle again. I fell in love with BC. When I when I say I fell in love, I was so happy to be back. And this man, you just like you 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 made me come back when I should have had surgery, and then to blame it on me like I was the problem because all those years prior. You know, all that media attention because they they painted me as this this bad stepkid, right? That's that's what the media and so it was very easy for him to dive back into that world and say, Oh yeah, he's he's this and he's that. It's very easy because it was already there. So it just this whole thing was just it was it was it was great, but it was also terrible. I went through so many range of emotions, as you can can tell in my voice. Is it, it was just such a tumultuous time for me, tumultuous time, because I had to deal with so much, so much backstabbing and this and that. It was just crazy. Wow. Yeah. Brother, brother I did not know you hit me. I didn't know it was an ACL. I thought it was a, you know, you already know. They said sprained knee. Tell everybody to sprained knee. Say it was a sprained knee. It was completely ruptured. Dr. McCormick told me you shouldn't, you shouldn't be playing. Told me you shouldn't be playing. Because I asked him, I'm, I'm sitting up here, I'm talking to him. He's like, he said, uh, if I were you, I, I probably wouldn't do it. This is Dr. McCormick. Wow. Yeah. But because WB called me, telling me, you, you, you know, you're doing it for the betterment of the team. You're doing it for the team, the team. But that's the ugly side of sports. And absolutely, a lot of people don't understand that part of it. Like, mm -hmm. I, I, I learned over the course of my career, like, like the last five or six, I got, I, I smartened up. Oh, no, I need DanteSports.com. I need to get my merchandise. I need to do this. Indeed. Start doing things outside of the game because we've had these conversations before. And, you know, a lot of people don't know. Like you, you think because it's the athlete in you. Like, right? I'm a, I'm my team need me. Whatever I need to do, because I've done plenty of those type of things. I show indeed. I'm in shooting. Indeed. Up. You know, I right. do surgery after the season, but hey, man, shoot this thing up because I got exactly. So, and I was there. I was there when you was doing that. I was there. I saw it. <laughs> it's crazy, man. Like, 
So when I think about it now, now that you say it, because at the time, it, shit, it ain't nothing, man. I'm, I'm Dante Marsh. I'm strong. I, you know, whatever. It's nothing. I could do this. So when I think back and think about some of that stuff, man, I'm taking that needle in my shoulder. Wow. And I, I basically played my whole, a whole because a lot of people don't know, I, I, I was three years out of football. I only played in the pre some of the preseason my rookie year in the NFL. So once I I was on injury reserve, so I missed all the 01 regular season. No football 02, no football 03. Then I came wow. to see 04. So remember that I I you I know you remember this because we were playing Winnipeg in preseason and we were in a cover three. I I got a picture of it, a steal. I jumped up. <laughs> I don't know how high off the ground I was, and I got a PBU with one hand. It almost looked like I pick it. But when I fell, I fell on that shoulder. I came to the side, and I'm like, dog, my shoulder messed up again. But I really couldn't. This is my shot back wow. throw ball. So my whole 2004 season, I think I got 18 shots so I could play wow. during the game. I had to get surgery that offseason. I basically played with my arm. <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. And, and had almost an all-pro year that year. Like, and that's just a, a testament to you because it's like, you know, and, and I don't know how it is here in California. Like, I see a lot of young cats out here. They don't be really stunting football like that. Like, at least from what I'm seeing. In Texas, it is, it's the league of bust. Like, you know, cats going to Canada. It's like, Canada, what's that? Like, they, they don't even know. Yeah. So, you know, it's crazy, man. And it helped the Canadian Football League being on C- uh uh, uh, ESPN two down here in the yeah. states, it helped uh, because people got to really see. And there's been some great talent come through Canada, as Ricky Williams, running back from University of Texas. But, oh, the one that, that they're naming the stadium after. Ask him about Canada when he got his ass busted when he came up here, because yeah. you know everybody was at. Oh, Canada is not this and that. Yeah, okay. Ask Ricky Williams. Ask how real it is in Canada. Ricky, ask Chad. They tell you uh, for real. Was- there's a lot of guys. I mean, I really didn't know too much about it uh, other than, you know, I knew about the Warren Moon situation. I knew about Doug Flutie. I knew about Jeff Garcia because I'm being from Oakland and he played with the Niners. He's a local guy, San Jose State. And Rocket, and Rocket Ismail. That's all I knew. I'm so, yeah. you know, you know, geographically ignorant thinking that people are living in igloos up there. That's, you know. because Right. That, exactly. That's exactly what we were thinking. So <laughs> it, it exceeded all my expectations, man. I will always love British Columbia. That's my second home. I spent 11 seasons up there. We've done some great things up there, man. And, you know, um, Canada is a beautiful place and, 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 sh- and shout out to Canada. But in regards to, man, this is just a dope ass interview. We got so much, but in regards to yeah, you see, after football, I know Casey was modeling a little bit. I know Casey was acting a little bit. Casey has moved mm-hmm. from Texas, living up the street from me in LA. Well, not up the street, but about five hours drive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you are living on the West Coast. What is Casey Printers doing currently? Ah, uh, man, you know, after I left Pro Ball, I had to find myself because <laughs> I, I just knew after everything that I had experienced in the corporate world, I couldn't do corporate anymore. I just couldn't. Like, I, I couldn't go into it. And that's the reason so many people, oh, you need to coach, you need to coach it. You could be so good at coaching, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, bro, you would have experienced the shit that I experienced playing ball for 10 years. Trust me, you wouldn't say the same thing. 
So I, I jumped into several different things because I just, I didn't know who Casey was. So I just did things that I thought that I would be good. I just started doing stuff. And along the way, I just knew I had to be an entrepreneur. I knew that I had to own my own. I knew that I had something, but I had to bring it to the world. I just didn't know how. Um, but being a part of several different marketing campaigns for since I was in high school, you know, when people are putting out, you know, information to the community to come to the games, blah, 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 my jersey would be up there, my name would be up there. So I would, I, I took from that experience and I started there. And so I learned how to do Facebook marketing and then I learned how to do, uh, marketing for, you know, help my wife with her company. She's actually from British Columbia as well. So, um, you know, I, I just dove into the whole world of entrepreneurship. And now I have a company that's, that's done over a million dollars in sales. And um, I've got a couple of things I got going on, but I'm just trying to master the art of being an entrepreneur. And it's very difficult when you've been on the, the corporate umbrella for so long, you really don't know, like nobody teaches you how to do anything outside of play football. And I remember speaking to Carl Kidd when he had gotten out of the league, he said football set him back eight years. I'm not wow. sure if he told you guys that. He no. said football set him back eight years because somebody else has eight years of job experience that he doesn't have. Right. You see what I'm saying? And so it's a very difficult thing to play football and put every ounce, because if you don't put every ounce into it, you're not gonna make it. You're just not going to make it. If you start trying to do all this other stuff, you're not going to make it. But as you age into that arena, you start trying to do entrepreneurial things like Tay just said, DanteMarsh.com and paraphernalia and shoes and socks and shirts and all kinds of, you try to, you try to maximize what you have, but you really don't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I've just done a lot of experimenting. Fortunately for me, I've been able to take advantage of the internet. Um, and most people don't even know it's me behind selling stuff to them, but um, because I, I've mastered that art. But at any rate, I've just understood the process of being an entrepreneur. And there's no way that I would tell my children to go play and try to be an NFL athlete. There's just no way for me because I understand what they're looking at. I wrote a book called From High School to the Pros, teaching young guys how to go from adolescence to, to the professional world, because I understand that of the 255 guys who get drafted to the NFL every year, 72 to 75% of them are going to come from the power five conferences. If you're not in the power five conferences, your, your stock diminishes. I didn't know that coming out of high school. Had I known that, maybe I would have chosen Notre Dame who came, sent them scholarship on my table. Maybe I could have chosen, um, Florida, Florida State, or USC, or UCLA. So UCLA flew, their whole staff was in my living room, right? And so if you'd have understood being a part of the corporate world and how to, to fit into the corporate entity, then you can you know make it into this corporate industry, which is football. But because I understand that kind of stuff, it's very, very difficult for me to look a kid in the face and just be like, you can do it. Like it's yeah. very hard because, you know, like Tay, Tay go shoot, shoot you straight. 
and his kids that he's training. I see him all the time training his kids. You have to be real with them and, and you got to keep it 100 with them. And for me, I, I try to encourage kids because my cousin is a trainer down in, in Texas and he trains a lot of NFL guys. Listen, you can't bet on the NFL. You can't do it. Like you just, it's so unstable. The industry is so unstable. You just can't hinge your future on such an unstable industry. You have to diversify. And that's, it's, um, that's why I encourage you guys. I mean, this is incredible. Putting this on, having this podcast, because this gives people a voice. You know what I mean? I would not have told this story. Had Tay not, you know, reached out and let me know what's good, I wouldn't have told this story and and nobody would see it from my point of view. Well, that's, that's the, that was the main reason why when, when Brian actually, we, we he, he got in contact with me, I really wasn't thinking so much about podcasts. I'm, there are several people reached out to me, yo, you should do a podcast. I'm like, yeah, whatever, I don't got time. <laughs> but right. since, the, since the pandemic happened, you know, I'm, I've always been social media savvy since it's become a thing. So, right. Oh, let me let me let me use this. And and it's it's funny you say the marketing because nobody told me how to do it. I just did it because I think that's being it's it's an innate ability is for inner city you know hood individuals that grew up in that environment just to have that hustle. So awesome. all I that's right. <laughs> I told myself a long time ago that I would. I'm going to get paid for this signature for the rest of my life. I've given football so much of my life. Of my 41 years, football has gotten 32 easy. Easy. And easy. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, damn it. I'm, they gonna, it's gonna, I'm going to get paid in a, from football in some way, shape, fashion, or form, whether it's coaching, uh, you know, junior college D1, whether it's mentoring and training, uh, you know, D1 athletes, it's, it's, it's going to take care of me because I've given so much of myself to this game. And Deanna said a lot, you know, I can't never love something that ain't going to love me back. Mm-hmm. I will say this. I've loved football. I married football at five years old. I had a lifesaver for a ring. <laughs> Indeed. I've given my life, I've devoted my life and everything that, that, that went into, poured into trying to become the best athlete that I can become so I could make it to that level. Um, and, and, and the game don't love you back, in a sense. Mm-hmm. On the flip side of it, I've been able to, you know, go back and get my bachelor's, get my master's degree, you know, impact the communities that I'm in with these young people, um, coach, train, mentor, do speaking engagements. My transition from the CFL game to back to civilian life, it wasn't easy, but it wasn't as tumultuous, if you will, as it has been for others. Because I understood early that I'm Dante Marsh who happens to play football, not Dante Marsh, the football player. So before I, before I, before I got out of you know playing ball, I was starting entrepreneurial things training um and then uh, i'm gonna put that on the shirt like you know and just doing other things outside of the game so i i agree with you 100 percent. and the, the other reason that we're creating this podcast and trying to push it to, to 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 much you know bigger heights is we're trying to create an infrastructure for current and former athletes to be able to monetize things once the game is done with you bc lines don't cut me no check no more mm-hmm. i don't get a check 
fall, fall off a cliff, it's, don't it? Yeah. Falls right off a cliff. Gone. The Tennessee Titans, <laughs> I don't get any more checks from them. So what I have to do is I then take all of that that I built and created, my resume, and I utilize it to make sure that my endeavors moving forward are beneficial because of what I've accomplished. So we want to hear your story. This is really not just a sports podcast. We want to talk about Black Lives Matter. We want to talk about being an African-American male here in the U.S. We want to talk about struggles, the daily struggles, because you're more, it's not shut up and dribble, bro. It's not. No, we're talking. That's just what you do. You put on your cape and you perform with the number one on. That's it. And after that, you're Casey Printers again. So I I, 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 want to thank you doing this and we're going to continue to, to build it and i, I want to say thank you to my calls who really got me into this shit because you know it was just you know facebook contact and dialogue at, at one point then we just indeed uh, put it together yeah man and i appreciate you guys for having me man because this is again this has allowed me to vent and tell a story that no one has ever you know actually heard and, and, and it was from a young man who who was scared to death of putting stuff out there because of being the ridicule is going you know that was going to come its way that I could foresee stuff that would happen like that so this is 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 really uh, incredible for me because again I wouldn't have had this this opportunity to say this other than this type of platform so I appreciate this man for real I'm a, uh, I gotta go tell these kids at 11:30 so I'm gonna go in here and do that but man indeed good brother I, 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 hey. Because, I mean, we we gotta we gotta do this, and 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 like I told you on the phone, I'm not gonna. We're not trying to. Ain't nobody trying to set nobody up with no shock value shit. This is all. <laughs> I was there, so that's why yeah. I'm just. Hey, but tell you, when they get when they hear this, oh yeah, it's oh, gonna yeah. go. I mean, because it's the, like nobody knows the truth, bro. Nobody knows the stuff, man. Nobody knows the stuff. This is personal. I, I was you know, talking, talking to Nick about that. He was like, well, I wasn't there, but I mean, I heard, you know. See? He's hurt. And he didn't want to, he didn't, he was not throwing the ball in practice and all that. I said, look, man, I was there. <laughs> I'm not going to speak too much on it because I don't want to speak for somebody, but I know probably more than a lot of other people know because I Yeah, know. right, right. Let me tell that. I'm going to say it was a, 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 a like a silent divide because we thought that you should have here. And I told you earlier, and I would say this to the, to, to the day I'm dead, like you should have had the opportunity to start that game, period. Now, indeed, a, I'm a coach talking there. You yeah. Because what you did hurt Nick, indifferent, who gives a shit? Because guess what? I got double D. So, right. If, One of the greatest they ever do it. Right. If the kid can't perform his magic in the first five to eight minutes of this first quarter, Come here, man. It's okay. Then everybody understand. Thank everybody you. would then understand. It's like, well, you guys can see, just like we can see, he can't get it done. Let's let's bring in double D. That's yeah, easy. So that, easy. That was my that was my view on it. But I'm gonna tap in with you. I'm gonna call you, Ryan. I'm gonna hit you later. Let me let me let me get on. It's yes, sir. I can't wait to get this shit chopped and screwed and put on. <laughs> it's gonna be crazy, man. All right, Tate, man. I appreciate you, brother. Casey, it's been awesome having you, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, no problem. 
especially when Dante reached out to me and, and on my own with my own podcast, I thought about reaching out to you. Um, it never came about, but when Dante said, Hey, I can get Casey printers. I said, let's do it, man. You Indeed. know, if, uh, if Casey, we can get Casey on here. And, and that, that's the thing too. I mean, the media, they, 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 they really had a lot of negative shit to say about you. They did. I mean, it was they did. the throwing the helmet incident, you know, and your last year in BC and you going off on the, on the receiver and, Mm-hmm. man i mean that and it, it it was so much going on there and, and there was so much bottled up emotion that you know and, and i'm the type of guy that all of my emotions are left on my sleeve i, I just leave it all out there mm-hmm. so when i do so so i i try to be very very you know cut off emotion all the time you got to do that as a quarterback that's what quarterbacks do but when i go there it's like helmet like, you know, it just, it goes, I go a little crazy. So uh, that's the reason why I was trying to be so subdued, if you will, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I totally understand. So personally in my life, I've used the law of attraction to help me achieve my goals. Uh, a big example of that would actually be this podcast. Uh, hmm. Vision boards work in the same way. Have you used these methods before in your own personal life? I did. I, I had a, um, before the 2004 season, that's ex- exactly what I used was a vision board. I used and I wrote down every goal that I wanted to accomplish for myself personally and for, for the team. And I started like slowly inching toward it. It was it was it was really crazy to see that at the end of the year, I had really I've reached most of the goals that I had written down on my vision board. And it's so crazy. Uh, I had the Grey Cup. I had the MVP trophy. I had all these things on my vision board, and I got to all those goals. I was like, this is nuts. So, yeah, absolutely. Vision boards are essential to your success because it's like you opening up a door that you can't see yet. And you're putting these things that are out there that may – because, again, you got to understand, I was a third-team quarterback, the third-team quarterback, coming into a 2004 campaign in which I ended up winning MVP. So it, it doesn't happen without vision. It doesn't happen without having something at your, at your forefront that you can hang your hat on and chase and chase hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. Was there a quarterback that you tried to craft your game after? Um, uh, I mean, I saw a lot of Mike Vick. Um, when I was a freshman at TCU, he was the first team freshman All-American quarterback. I was the third team freshman All-American quarterback on, on several publications. Um, so I had followed him very closely. And my goal, one of my goals I wrote down on my vision board was to be the Canadian version of Mike Vick. Okay. And um, my, my, another goal of mine was to be on TSN every game, doing something like Mike Vick. Because again, I was trying to market. I was thinking marketing. I was thinking strategy for getting the attention of the NFL because that was always, of course, of course my goal is yeah. to get the attention of the NFL so that I could take care of my family. Yeah, for sure. So what, what is the importance of leadership and teamwork to you? Uh, the importance of leadership, and again, I, I have to digress because leadership, I was not always a great leader. And 
uh, the more I matured, the more I understood the the potential for leadership and and how it plays um, this huge, huge role in leading a team. And as I matured and became the older voice in the room, I had to flip a switch and understand that, um, you know, you need every teammate, the practice squad guy, the, the, the guy that is hurt. There's, you know, every single person on that team, including coaches, are part of that team. And you have to be, again, as the quarterback, you're the bridge from the upstairs with all the corporates to the team. And some kind of way, you've got to be able to manage all of that to bring the team together for one common goal. So right now, the United States is pretty much at a crossroads with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, you know, there's a, it seems like every other week there's a shooting, there's a riot, there's a lot of stuff going on. What are your thoughts mm. on the Black Lives movement? Well, I think it's been, it's, it's uh, obviously it's an issue. Um, the pr uh, police brutality is definitely an issue. Systemic racism is definitely an issue. I've had, yeah. in my own experiences, I've been in situations where it's like you're a black quarterback. When I first got to the NFL, it was like, we don't want you doing all that running around. Right. We want you to be like them. Wow. Okay? And there weren't any other black quarterbacks on the roster. So I knew what them was. Yeah. So again, it that this kind of stuff transcends all communities. It's just not in the you know the suburban or, or the inner city hoods this is all through the corporate industry as well um systemic racism is everywhere so it's always an issue always been an issue and it definitely needs to change now i'm not one to just talk change i'm one to take action because action is what ushers in change and yeah. so voting and, and holding people accountable is what we would need to do to make change happen. And so, yeah, I'm a huge, huge fan of anybody who loves people um, because people will make what makes this world go around. You know, one of the things that um, I loved about my experience of being in Canada was because I got to weave into several different uh, ethnicities and, and, and ethnic groups and being able to to hang out with East Indians and being able to hang out with, uh, you know, people who are from Calgary and, and, and from, from, you know, from Toronto and all these different places and Hamilton and all these different worlds. And I got to experience these people, which opened my eyes to so much. And there's so many people who have not had that experience, who can't who can't speak to that, who can't understand that we are all one and everybody's going through the same issues. So it's people's ignorance as well. And, and um, I would encourage people to just go out and, and try to intermingle with people and just get to know someone of a certain race and or creed um, and try to understand their background. Because in this interview of, of, with you guys and, and myself, I dove into a lot of things that nobody knew about me. And nobody would have known unless somebody asked, you know? And so it's just, just understanding people and getting to know people and you really get a different 
taste of life when you do that. For sure. I agree hundred um, percent. And it, I mean, it's 2020. I mean, let's, let's start making some changes, right? Enough is enough when it, you know, it, so. it's, I mean, come on, seriously. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's a lot of stuff too that Carl Kidd had said when he was on was, you know, when he came up to Canada and he was in playing with the Lions, you know, just meeting all, all different kinds of people from all different nationalities. I mean, I, I, I live in, I live in Canada. I'm on Vancouver Island and I feel very blessed and fortunate to be here for sure. Absolutely, man. Because there's so many different types of people that you get to intertwine with and you just begin to, to realize that we're all in this thing together. Definitely. And as of for voting, we're having a provincial election coming up here pretty quick in another week or two. And uh, definitely, you know, everybody, let's get out there and vote. Uh, because I've, I've always said, if you don't vote, you don't really have much of a say. And uh, sure. people have died and sacrificed their lives for our right to vote. So let's get out there and do it, everybody. Absolutely. I concur 1000%. Because again, there's so much talk on the internet, just people talking. But are you doing your part in voting? And are you doing your part in your community? And are you doing your part with being the, the bridge we need of change? If you're not doing that, then why are you talking? It's crazy. Exactly. Casey, uh, I'd love to have you back on again, if you're willing to come back on. Absolutely. No question. I love doing stuff like this. I love talking. As you can see, I, like, I'm very <laughs> long-winded, but I love to talk. And, and I would love to be back on and, and hang out and chat. Yeah, that'd be great. And that's exactly what Dante had said too. We're creating a platform where players can come on and, and uh, get their stories out. Right. And I love it. Again, there was, I, I, I have not been able to articulate the things that happened in my career. Nobody knows this stuff about how I lived and how I was able to manage going straight up the ladder to success and then falling down a steep cliff it's very, very tumultuous. It was a very hard time. And so, you know, just listening to players speak gives them an outlet, mm -hmm. you know, and a voice to uh, what they experienced. And it just, it, it can help. It can help anybody that's listening, man. There's no question about that. Definitely. And I, I could see your emotions as well in, involved in it. And uh, I mean, you're, you're clinging at, at my emotions at times through the conversation. So. You know, it's crazy, right? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> no, I really appreciate that, brother. It's been fun. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely, Ryan. Okay, guys, this has been Casey Printers. I am on um, an episode of Inside the Minds. Thank you guys for tuning in. It's been great.